This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. who lunch everybody laugh lounging in their caftans and planning a brunch on their own behalf off to the gym then to a fitting claiming their fat Looking grand Cause they've been sitting Choosing a hat Does anyone still wear a hat? I'll drink to that Here's to the girls who stay smart Aren't they a guess? Rushing to their classes in optical art Wishing it would pass Another long, exhausting day Another thousand dollars A matinee of interplay Perhaps a piece of malice I'll drink to that And one for Mahler In their prime Aren't they too much Keeping house But clutching a copy of time Just to keep in touch The ones who follow the rules And meet themselves at the schools Too busy to know that Just watch, aren't they the best? When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch Plus a little jest Another chance to disapprove Another brilliant So here's to the girls on the go Everybody tries Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know Everybody dies A toast to that invincible bunch The dinosaurs surviving the crunch Let's hear it for the Oh, what lungs. Oh, what lungs, Patty LuPone. What is up, theatre nerds? I'm Mel with me old mate Mike, and you're backstage once again. If you missed us last week, you can catch up on all the goodness on any of your podcast streaming apps. This week, we're extending on the conversation we had last week, Why Do Theatre? And brand new musical of the week is Company. Now that track that you just heard was uh, Ladies Who Lunch uh, from 
Company, as sung by the incomparable Patti LuPone. Incomparable is the word for yeah, it. She was uh, a star of one of the versions that we'll talk about a bit later and uh, is involved in the revival as well, which is currently uh, back on stage in Broadway. Does she play the same role? Uh, I think so, yes. Yes, it's the one she's famous for, Joanne. Ah, yes, And good. Um, she... Uh, I couldn't find... The thing is, I couldn't find a recording of the 2021 version of her doing that song because they haven't done a full cast recording yet. Yeah, right. I've been so I searched around and I found an older version. That's from 2018, I think, that one. But um, I'll explain all of that when I come to the show in question a bit later. But anyway, getting back to your points about this, what the show is about this week, uh, with a fascinating history, I'm going to be really looking forward to telling you all about Company, how it came to be and where it's been and where it's come from and what it's doing now. So stay tuned. Sit tight. Right. Before we get into the list of stuff that's coming up around the place soonish, uh, I thought it might be a good time to profile a play from the list very quickly and give our friends a, bit, a brief overview of what the play is about. Coincidentally, this week, the play I chose this week is directed by Mike, uh, but it won't always be, hopefully. <laughs> uh, it's coming up at March in Rivoli, at Rivoli Theatre. It is directed by Mike, as I've mentioned. What is it actually about? Uh, well, let me tell you. Geezers by Tommy Lee Johnston is a funny, heartwarming drama. It's about growth and wisdom, learning and loving, life and death. The play introduces us to some beautiful and wonderful senior citizens who are enjoying their golden years in a retirement home. Jack, a pathologically shy 27-year-old man, begins a job there helping the seniors with their daily needs. But it's the geezers who end up who wind up helping Jack with his needs. On his road to an epiphany, Jack learns from the geezers that he must break out of his comfort zone to achieve anything in life. Jack learns to crawl, then walk, then fly, with a wise group of mentors guiding him along the way. Mike, who can we look forward to seeing on stage in your production? I was just going to say, I could leave the room now because you've covered it all, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well, tell me about your cast. You've done, you've done your homework and researched it well. That is a really good uh, summary of what the play's about. Um, Any time I've mentioned it to people, I say, geezers... It must be about old fellas. Well, it is, but it's kind of. their it's their complexities, uh, the things that have led them through life, and how they share that with this and young man who's got a lot to learn. Um, I've got a huge lineup. There's ten actors involved, and I don't know if I've got them all written down here. Um, I'm, I'm bound to miss somebody, and I don't want to. I've got um, right. wonderful Julia Turner mm -hmm. is back on stage uh, in a key role in this one. Uh, Maggie Hillock, who is an old friend of mine and yours, I think, from... Yeah, doing, Maggie, is she getting on stage, is she? She is uh, an actor from way back, but she hasn't been on stage. Oh, I've never seen her on stage. For ages, and, yeah, uh, we she see her backstage so often. She kind of reluctantly auditioned for me, but um, she was a standout when I saw her do the role that I was looking wonderful. for. Wonderful. Oh, so, I can't wait to see Maggie on yeah, stage. Yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Great. Uh, Lorna Ashton. Yeah, wonderful. Long history with uh, Rivoli Theatre mm -hmm. is on stage as well, and a young actor by the name of L Lily Berry is also um, part of the team. Yep, like Lily. Yep. she's great. Uh, I've got Clive Lambden. Oh, Clive, love Clive. I uh, love. I probably love all these people, but will. I really um, love Clive. Jonty Climo, new name for us in Hamilton, but he's done a, a lot of work in Tauranga, which is where I first met him. Uh, he's now living in our region and bringing out a lot of really broad skills to uh, to his work on the stage. Yep. He's a musician as well as a great actor. Patrick Ward, um, Glenn Matthews is part of the team. Wonderful. And I've got Graham Pollard also uh, in the mix as one of my old geezers. Sounds like a great cast. As well. Yeah, they're, um, they're a really nice mix of, of people who've got um, bags and bags of experience between them and we're all learning from each other as we go through the um, through the whole process of pulling it all together it's and it's true. it's um it's a really neat experience and i i've uh really enjoyed particularly the last couple of weeks as we've gone past the blocking stage mm. worked scenes starting to now pull them together um monday night we had our first time we went through act one completely from start to finish just to put it all in context yeah and when you see the play, which I certainly hope you will um you'll realize that it, it by bringing in certain sort of like um they're not quite um, flashbacks, but they are uh, separate scenes which kind of flesh out more of the information you need to know about some of the older characters. And, mm. and I'm presenting that in a, in a stage that will rotate so that it brings another scene in front of the audience and then hides it away again afterwards. Cool. Uh, so when you see that all connected and what that, how that runs in sequence, um, I hope it will give the right kind of impressions that I'm looking to get out of it. But it makes more sense when you see those scenes happening 
concurrently. Yeah, cool. And up to this point, we've been doing things kind of out of sequence, and you know, some people haven't seen other scenes and so on. Yeah, yeah. When we finished on Monday night, it was just great because everybody then got a sense of how the flow of Act One in its entirety will go. Tonight we're doing Act Two, Wonderful. and then this we just start building from there. Cool. When we're on on the twenty sixth of March. I will 100% be there for this one because it is just around the corner and it's in my little place of residence. Uh, can't wait to check out the familiar faces and the couple of names that I don't know. Book it in, guys. Seats are limited to 100 per performance while we're released still in red. And now let's get out your calendars for a brief overview of everything we know that is still coming up around the place. I've got to mention Kim Bolton Hamilton. Oh, as well from, he did leave a name out. I did. She's from um, <laughs> Tepoy and uh, she's coming all the way through to play um, a visitor to one of the uh, one of the residents in the in the retirement home. Excellent. Kim's, Kim's wonderful. She's an old friend of mine from way back as well. Okay, let's I go on. Know. What's on soonish? Rivoli Theatre, Geezers, as we've just alluded, by Tommy Lee Johnston, directed by me, March 26th to April the 9th, and Hamilton Musical Theatre are about to start rehearsing Blood Brothers. We kick off this Sunday morning. Uh, we're on stage in May. Mm-hmm. And I say we because I'm in the cast, as is Patrick, as is <laughs> Jaunty. And are you all? <laughs> yeah. uh, at Clarence Street Theatre, Shrek the Musical is still planned, directed by Nick Wilkinson that hits the stage from the 26th to the 30th of April. Hasn't been cancelled yet that we know of. Friends the Musical parody is still on stage one night only, May 6th. And Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, directed by David Sidwell, that's coming up in July. At Navarra Lounge, it's open mic night tonight. You're probably too late to get a, a spot to do a turn, but you can go and watch. Doors are open from 6, and if you want to book in a performance for future open mic nights, you can do that while you're there. Friday is Goldfinger, a DJ set, and Saturday is Grape Soda, another DJ set, but with a real difference, and I won't tell you more about that because you'll find out if you head on down there. Just go enjoy some good, good, vi- good vibes and good music. Navarra Lounge. At Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, Conjugal Rights is coming up by Roger Hall. That's on from April 30th till May the 14th. Matamata Dramatic Society has any port in a pandemic, written by Richard Previtt, April 23rd to the 30th. In Putaradu, the theatre players have Moonshine the Musical coming to the stage in April. Thames Music and Drama have Mamma Mia, directed by Diane Connors. That's on stage in May. Rotorua Musical Theatre have Song Contest coming up, the almost Eurovision experience. That's directed by John Drummond and on stage from March 25th to April the 9th. To Tauranga at 16th Avenue Theatre, The Life of a Funny Girl, presented by Drag Race Down Understar Anita Wiglet, February 26th, that's this Saturday. Detour Theatre has the Hardcastle, uh, the Hardcase Hotel. I keep wanting to say Hardcastle, I don't know why. <laughs> the Hardcase Hotel, written by Devin Williamson, March 24th to April the 9th. And Tauranga Musical Theatre, now knee deep in rehearsals for That Bloody Woman, directed by Daryl Nechke, and that's hitting the stage April 27th. Over in Fakatani, Theatre Fakatani have The Last Five Years coming up. That's directed by Sam McLeod on stage this weekend, the 24th until the 26th. And School of Rock, the musical, is directed by Sue Harris. That's coming up in April, uh, at the end of April through to May. Auckland Theatre Company, Grand Horizons by Bess Wall, directed by Jennifer Ward-Leland. It's on now, but with limited seating capacity. I'm glad they've gone ahead with it. It's mm. on now until March the 5th. By way of upcoming auditions and opportunities, Rotorua Musical Theatre uh, put the call out a little while ago for creative team for their 2022 season of The Colour Purple. You can follow their Facebook page for more information there. Tower Mutu Light Operatic Society are auditioning for Tell Me a Story. That's this coming Sunday, and also they'll be auditioning on March the 1st, so you've got two opportunities. More information on the Telos Facebook page. And Bold Theatre have found their Kate Shepherd. They're now looking to fill all the other roles uh, in the show, That Bloody Woman. Auditions are being held Sunday, March 13th, and all the information you need is on the Bold Theatre website. Here we go. The calendar is holding pretty strong so far. Most of what we're seeing is going ahead staged in those smaller venues where they can get away with the audience limit of 100. And um, We're not sure how Clarence Street or those bigger venues are going to fare, but we'll have the latest word right here. As always, if there is a show or audition opportunity that you want to us to spread the word about, get in touch with us, email us on backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or let us know when you see us next. Now, if you joined us last week, you'll know all about why we think people paid and not paid 
do theatre and why it might be important, not just for them individually, but for society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper and ask the big question, what is community theatre and why is it as a thing important per se? Community theatre being the important differentiation, I think. Uh, I might even extend that to include why community theatre has so much more value than some professional practitioners give it credit for. Yeah, Yeah. some. Uh, I'd start by saying that while there are absolutely some sophisticated community theatre groups, as a general rule, a good portion of the work, and this is not a very popular opinion, uh, of the done of the work done in community theatres likely doesn't measure up to professional or perhaps even you know drama school standards. I want to also clarify a couple of things too, because there's a lot of professional people cut their teeth in community theatre and have a huge amount of respect for what happens at community theatre level. Totally. But I agree with you that you cannot get away from the fact that when people are able to devote forty hours a week plus and get paid a little bit of money for devoting that time mm-hmm. to their craft, they will always, always, without exception, turn out a, you know, a polished, almost perfect performance every single time. Totally. Because what else have they got to do? When, and in New Zealand, I think we're a little bit more... Um, we're not as susceptible to that... Oh, you do community theatre. We are a little bit, and I don't get me wrong. I know some, there are individuals. Yes, there yeah. are individuals, but as a whole, nobody really works full time professionally yeah. in New Zealand. They're, they're pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, and that, all this goes to say, you know, this is where we say that that's really not the point of it anyway. Mm. You know, if people are working in our local theatres, wanted to be professionals, they might have the you know might have the opportunity opportunity or have had the opportunity at some point to go and pursue those goals but i'm willing to to bet and guess that a majority of us uh, just do a theater in our communities have never really considered that as a career option um especially not you know when you've got family and things like that to consider you just you it's not really a viable option or hasn't been in this country and you know, I've been around it for about forty something years now. When you went to drama school, yeah, so you sort of thought I've, maybe that was your direction at one point. Yeah, but life has a way of getting in the way of things like that. Yeah. You know, I found out it wasn't a huge amount of money to be made as a professional actor. Yeah, it takes a huge amount of commitment, and I've got nothing but respect for people who pursue it because it is damn hard work. Totally. It is sometimes necessary to just say, well, for now, I need to concentrate on. You know, putting food on the table, getting a roof over my head, looking after my loved ones, doing yeah. all that sort of stuff. Sometimes that takes the, the possibility of a professional career off the table, but it doesn't stop you wanting to do it, eh? No, that's right. I mean, and I think for the most part, most of us are happy to be teachers or, you know, dentists or lawyers or mechanics or, you know, whatever it is, working in radio, whatever it is that we do. Um, and this, the simple admission is that recreational theatre is just that. It's recreational. You know, it's an outlet for those of us who truly love theatre. It's the social netball team, it's the quiz night group, it's the it's the book club for the performance-minded. Yeah. It's what we do for fun. <laughs> Great analogy. Yeah. Uh, you know, people play bridge, people do other things, you know. Uh, this we, is what we do. We spend 50 hours and, plus and in the And we invite you to come and see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the people who work in our community theatres are the same people who see every local show as well, who buy big when touring musicals come to Auckland, who flock to Broadway when we were able to, you know. If Mm -hmm. I could hop on a plane and go to Broadway now, I would damn well do it. Absolutely. They're the parents who encourage creativity in their own children too. So these are the people who live the life of, you know, being involved in creative pursuits. And in some cases... They might even provide the only theatre that their community gets to see. And some of our smaller communities around this country, definitely there's proof of that. You know, there are people that have been involved in community theatre, have done it for decades, never going to stop. But that, you know, that's all they've got in some of those small towns, so you should treasure it. Those are the people we need. Yeah, that's such a good point to make. You know, some towns in rural New Zealand, not to mention rural, the rest of the world, may only just have, you know, the one theatre. And that's the only theatre they are ever exposed to and they're not remotely within driving distance of the nearest professional theatre venue. Uh, and, so, and, like, don't get me wrong, I laugh my ass off when I see noises off too, you know, mm. uh, the, the satire of community thespians. Um, don't, it's absurd and it celebrates the foibles of its misguided thespians just as much as it mocks them. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> that's why it's okay for us to laugh at noises off. Yeah, and it is that affection that's missing when we hear or, or read of professionals talking about the theatre made within our communities and the ones who have sometimes referred to it as being substandard work. I think they're missing a golden point, which yeah. is, uh, you know, these are people dedicated to doing something they, they really love to do. Uh, whether there's a pay packet at the end of it or not is totally immaterial. For the love of it. Yeah. How many things do you do for the love of it, everyone? Yeah. Uh, there's a book called The Play That Changed My Life, and that was put together by the American Theatre Wing. Uh, it's a collection of independently written essays, and it includes several odes to community theatre, uh, with several playwrights, including Beth Henley and Sarah Rule, writing about how their parents' community theatre experiences informed their own theatrical lives. Chris Durang wrote of, uh, wrote of play readings held in his living room, actually, that transformed his mother and the local newspaper editor into the elegant personages of... Uh, personages, is it? Personages. Of an old-powered play one afternoon, and a captivating moment for him as a young person. Yeah. These aren't unique stories. People I know and grew up with have had similar ones. I have similar stories. You know, I, yeah. I predate television, Mel. <laughs> and I may have told you before, when I, and my cousins will bear this out, when we got together as large whanau, uh, the entertainment happened by us putting out our own entertainment in the lounge, and that was often just us kids yeah. you know, doing skits, singing songs, doing a dance, making stories up, all that sort of stuff, and very doting and happy, probably slightly inebriated parents flocked around <laughs> us to say, well done, yeah, you, you guys are great. Um, it's that escapism, that suspension of reality that you get into, which makes it all just so magical and so worthwhile. Oh, totally. And I remember being cast in my very first show outside of, outside of high school, uh, directed by the wonderful Angela Walker, who you will get to know uh, quite soon. And I remember thinking, this is it. I've hit the big time. <laughs> I'm on stage. I'm on a real stage. Yeah. And, and it, real lights. It was big news. Yeah. I had, I remember the same same thrill. You know, um, doing stuff at school was fine. First time I got onto a stage where there was actual makeup and actual lights shining in my eyes yeah. and an actual audience sitting there on the opening night, I just thought, well, it doesn't get much better than this, does it? You know? <laughs> yeah, and we've spent ever since then chasing the high. <laughs> Another nail in the coffin that is, is that uh, community theatre plays share a common trait with many high school plays in that uh, both often feature large casts of varying stage and they do it because inclusion is essential both in a desire to be welcoming and because inclusion can drive up ticket sales as well. There's a very pragmatic uh, underlying cause for that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're especially in a school situation, kids' parents will come and see what their kids do. Yeah. I really totally endorse the inclusion, um, the ethic of inclusive inclusiveness, so, uh, you know, including people of varying abilities and varying yeah. needs. Um, you have to find places for them to not feel out of place but to stretch themselves and, yeah. and do stuff they've never done before. And that's what community theatre is for, you know, like just about anyone should be given a uh, You know, for every old bugger like me who comes <laughs> in and takes a senior role as granddad sitting in the corner you've got to have the roles for the you know, 12, 13 year olds who wonder what it's all about and whether it's something they want to do. Yeah, that's a really good point and, and something we rely on those old, you know, large scale musicals and, and very well known plays from throughout the last, I don't know, 50 to 100 years, they are staple in community theatre and they're dated and they've got large casts and, and professionals might snuff their noses at, up at those shows, but they are pivotal to what the community theatres are doing. I'm talking shows like Chekhov, Oscar Wilde, Noel Coward, um, musicals like West Side Story or Fiddler on the Roof. You know, we've talked about these shows. Yeah, no, they have longevity for a reason. That's right. Uh, if, unless they don't date well. Um, Which for, for societal reasons, but you know, if you scratch the surface of any professional actor or performer, uh, you will find that they have had experience in those very same plays. The very, you know, some of those uh, Chekhov staples, for example, still rotate all the time in national theatre in, in the UK. Totally, um, and people love doing them. You know, you'll never get sick of uh, waiting for Godot. Well, he's or, con considered quite academic these days, yeah. isn't he? And you'll see big names doing them. You know, um, Patrick Stewart doing Waiting for Godot with um, Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, what a cast. What a cast. But, you know, that gets done at high school as well. Yeah, exactly. So, there you go. Just because they may be dated, the value of those pieces just shouldn't be diminished because they, they flourish in non-professional settings because they may not always be the most current work, but they're the only opportunity to be seen in many of the community theatre arenas uh, because they're not, you know, top of the bill in Broadway. You've mm. all seen them in community theatres all over the world. Yeah, that's... 
I keep saying that's a really good point. Um, but it actually is. Size isn't the only issue. Current popularity dismissively demotes shows to, quote, community theatre status as well. So, um, like, the likes of Devin Williamson or even Roger Hall, their works are prolific throughout the country. But it's been a long time since we've seen, if at all, them on a professional stage. Mm. Um, So there is still a place for those community theatre plays. Yep. Quote, end quotes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Essentially, uh, what we are saying is judge a show recreational or not by its own merits, Mm. Um, not on a collective assumption about its worth. So don't buy into what uh, the scuttlebutt may say. Look at them (laughs) on their own merits and say, you know, how well is this written? If it's still being played, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, it's a problem that does more damage to ourselves as artists than it does to anyone else. Mm. You know, if we say we're going to do, um, as you said, Fiddler on the Roof as our major show next year, it will please a lot of older people, but some of the younger people who look at that list might say, well, why are we doing such an old show? Well, actually... There's a heck of a lot in that show. There's a heck of a lot to learn. Yeah. And if you do it, you, uh, as a young performer, you're going to learn heaps. As a young musician, you're going to learn heaps. And even just for the sake of uh, cultural awareness, you're going to learn heaps too. Yeah. By slagging off community th- community theatre productions, we do nothing but undercut our own best interests, I reckon. Yeah, that's so true. We also put our own... Um, a cultural elitism on display and we allow the people around us to do the same thing. So, uh, no, I don't think you're better at what you do or that your work is better just because you got paid an amount of money to do it. Where's your passion? Where's your blind faith? Where's you simply doing it because you can't not do it? As we said last week. You know? Job by day, community theatre by night, no one's pretending to be professional. So why people in professional theatre decide to deride it beats me. But as we said at the outset, this this is only a minority in the professional world. Yeah. If it is all about the suggestion that non-professionals working on stage shows in a community setting are hurting the artistic quality of the professional arena, I say bullshit. Mm -hmm. Perhaps professional theatre needs to take a good hard look at itself and get real. Oh, if we're better than you, step up your game, mates. Yeah. Uh, Granted, while most of us have spent money on an amateur show that was less than fabulous, don't get me wrong, uh, also don't get me started on all the times I've purchased really expensive tickets to professional productions, plays and musicals uh, that were a complete waste of my hard-earned cash. Yeah, we won't list them. Because we're not that bitchy. And we might get in trouble. They're out there. (laughs) Community and professional theatre both produce amazing work and not-so-fantastic material. Sometimes it just goes wrong for lots of reasons. Yeah. They always have, and I suspect always will, be in that kind of situation. You Mm -hmm. take a risk everything you do. Both have their place in the wonderful world of theatre and both deserve a huge amount of respect, not just from their own devoted fans and members, but from each other as well, you know? Yeah. I like that. Never will you ever be put more to the test than when. It's 27 degrees outside at 7.55pm. Yeah. The bar chiller has just broken down. <laughs> a cast member is crying in the green room. Another cast member is receiving first aid. And the entire theatre sound system crashes. It's in these moments that we truly discover our resilience and, and skills of perseverance. That was weirdly specific and sounds like something <laughs> a little bit more than fiction, Mel. Yeah, it is more than fiction <laughs> and we're not talking about it. Uh, so if you're still with us, Musical of the Week this week is Patty Lapone's company. And Mike has everything we've ever and never wanted to know about the show. Now you, if you're listening, you may think, well, how come we haven't had a musical break you know, we haven't heard another track from Company. Why do these guys keep do, talking? You guys have been talking non-stop for about 20 minutes. <laughs> the reason is that what we want to do is a little different this week. I want to play for you, after we finish talking, um, a recording that was made as part of the NPR Tiny Desk Home Concert Series. And it is the cast of the current version of Company, which is playing at Broadway. The revival Who cast. have not yet completely done a, a, a full cast recording they got together to do this uh, tiny desk concert recording before restrictions were lifted but knowing they were going to get back into it yeah. um, and so we get to hear some of the songs from the show, only about four of them cool. but they have also a bit of yarn about you know what they're doing a bit about the Tiny Desk Concerts. It's a visit, video series of live concerts hosted by NPR Music at the desk of uh, the host of um, a wonderful podcast called All Songs Considered. His name is Bob Boy- Boylan. Uh, he's in Washington, D.C. And the first Tiny Desk Concert came up in about 2008 after he and the NPR Music editor Stephen Thompson left a South by Southwest frustrated uh, concert, frustrated that they couldn't hear the music above 
the crowd. Ah. So Thompson joked that uh, the musician folk singer Laura Gibson should just perform at Boylan's desk. And a month later, Boylan arranged for her to do just that. Right, right. Just sitting at his desk, making an impromptu recording, posted it online, and the name was taken from Boylan's uh, own psychedelic dance band of the 1970s called Tiny Desk Unit. Right. That's a little bit of extra history. During the COVID-19 pandemic, NPR Music enlisted artists to instead record their own virtual performances under the rebranded title tiny desk brackets home concerts sure so this they could be anywhere cool. in this particular case the um the company cast recorded in a bar and as i was uh, as at october last year the series included more than 800 concerts oh really and viewed a collective two billion times on youtube so it's it hugely, must be a cool collection of popular, artists popular concept and it's, it's doing really well yeah, so cool. let me talk about company music and lyrics by stephen sondheim book by george firth the original 1970 production was nominated for a record-setting 14 Tony Awards, won six of them, including Best Musical, Best Score, Best Lyrics, and Best Book. Company lacks a linear plot, which I'm always attracted to anyway. You've got something a little bit different, I want to see it. It depicts instead uh, a story occurring in the mind of the central character, a uh, concept musical composed of short vignettes presented in no particular chronological order and linked by the conceit of a 35th birthday. Company was among the first book musicals to deal with contemporary dating, marriage and divorce. As sometimes said, Broadway theatre has been for many years supported by upper middle class people with upper middle class problems. <laughs> These people really want to escape that world when they go to the theatre. And then here we are with Company talking about how we're going to bring <laughs> yeah. it right back into their faces. <laughs> George Firth wrote 11 one-act plays planned for actress Kim Stanley as each of the separate leads. And Anthony Perkins was originally interested in directing that and asked uh, Stephen Sondheim to read the material because he thought this sounds like it could be a good musical. Uh, Sondheim read the plays, then went to Harold Prince, his mate, for his opinion. Prince said, go for it, bro, dude, you know, this will work. Yeah. He thought the plays would make the basis for an excellent musical. The theme would be New York marriages with a central character to tie them all together. In the early 1990s, Firth and Sondheim revised the libretto from 1970, cutting and altering dialogue that had become dated and rewriting the Interact One, and that synopsis is the basis of what I'm going to give you now. Uh, Robert, uh, Bobby, is a well-liked single man living in New York City. His friends are all married or engaged couples. We've got Joanne and Larry, Peter and Susan, Harry and Sarah, David and Jenny, and Paul and Amy. It's Robert's 35th birthday, and the couples have gathered to throw him a surprise party. When Robert fails to blow out any candles on his birthday cake, the couples promise him that his birthday wish will still come true, mm -hmm. but Bobby has wished for nothing, claiming that his friends are all that he needs. So what follows is a series of disconnected vignettes in no particular order, featuring Robert visiting with one of the couples, or alone, on a date with a girlfriend. In the first vignette, Robert visits Sarah, who's a foodie, supposedly now dieting, and her husband Harry, an alcoholic, supposedly now recovered. Sarah and Harry taunt each other in their, on their vices, escalating towards karate-like fighting and thrashing that may or may not be playful. It's, it's kind of shades of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah, okay. Robert is next with Peter and Susan on their apartment terrace. Peter is an Ivy League graduate and Susan's a Southern Belle. The two seem to be perfect couple, yet they surprise Robert with the news of their upcoming divorce. At the home of the uptight Jenny and Sheik David, Robert has brought along some marijuana that the three share. The couple, oh, turns, to, the couple turns to grilling Robert on why he isn't uh, married yet. Robert claims he is not against the notion, but three women he is currently dating, Kathy, Marta and April, oh. appear and proceed Andrew's sister's style to chastise Robert for his reluctance to being committed with the song You Could Drive a, a Person Crazy. We feature that at the end of the show today. All of Robert's male friends are deeply envious about his commitment-free status and each has found someone they find perfect for Robert, but Robert is waiting for someone who mer merges all the best features of all of his uh, male friends, female friends. Yes, right. So he's, he's just being silly. <laughs> Maybe he's playing hard to get, I don't know. Bobby then meets his three girlfriends in a small park on separate occasions as Marta overlays all that with a, a song of the city, crowded, dirty, uncaring, yet somehow wonderful. Robert first gets to know April, who's a slow-witted airline flight attendant. He then spends time with Kathy, 
they dated previously and both admit that they each secretly considered marrying the other. They laugh at this coincidence before Robert suddenly considers the idea quite seriously. However, Kathy reveals that she's leaving for Cape Cod with a new fiancé, so he's dipped out. Finally, Robert meets with Marta. She loves New York and babbles on about topics both highbrow and lowbrow, and Robert is just left stunned. The scene then turns to the day of Amy and Paul's wedding. They've lived together for years but are now just getting married, uh, or just now getting married. Amy has gotten an overwhelming case of cold feet, though, and as the upbeat Paul harmonises rapturously, a panicked Amy confesses to the audience that she can't go through with it. Robert, the best man, and Paul watch as Amy complains and self-destructs over every petty thing she can possibly think of and then finally explicitly calls off the wedding. Paul dejectedly storms out into the rain and Robert tries to comfort Amy but emotionally winds up offering an impromptu proposal to her himself. Oh. His words jolt Amy back to reality. She runs out after Paul at least uh, and at last ready to marry him. The setting returns to the scene of the birthday party where Robert is given his cake again and tries to blow out the candles again. At this time, he wishes for something. That is the end of Act 1. Okay. So it comes back to the cake blowing out scene as being kind of the bridge between all these. I've left some important detail out of there, but you're getting a feeling that he's kind of doing a Christmas carol type thing where he's visiting different situations with different people and interacting with them and it's a little bit of fourth wall breakdown and stuff. Anyway, Act 2. The birthday party scene is reset. Robert goes to blow out his candles, and this time he gets them about half out, and the couples have to help him with the rest. Uh-huh. The couples share their views on Robert, both complimentary and unflattering, with each other as Robert reflects on being the fifth wheel, soon followed by the up-tempo pee to Robert's role as the perfect friend. There is a song called What Will We Do Without You? In a dance break in the middle of the number, each man in turn does a dance step that's answered by his wife. Robert does likewise, but he has no partner to answer it. Right, right. Robert brings April to his apartment for a night ca- nightcap after a date. They wind up in bed together. Um, meanwhile, the married women worry about Robert's single status and the unsuitability, unsuitable qualities that they find in the women that he's dating. As Robert and April have sex, we hear Robert and April's thoughts interspersed with music that expresses and mirrors their increasing excitement. In some productions, including the Broadway one, uh, this is accompanied by a solo dance by Kathy. Okay. Are you keeping track of all the names here? No. Uh, no, I <laughs> can't say I am, but I have some questions about the casting. Okay. Uh, April can, uh, gets up the next morning about to go and uh, be a flight attendant on a early flight. Uh, as she struggles to get away from his pleading with her to stay, uh, she agrees. Um, he agrees that she should go. That apparently gets to her, though, and she joyfully declares that she will stay after all, and he freaks out. Later, Robert and Marta visit Peter and Susan. I've could, look, I've got another page and a half of stuff here. The plot is incredibly detailed. Okay. And the way that I'm telling it to you possibly could put you off. But How it many is, I didn't, cast members I are I didn't in count it? them. Uh, well, is it just the couples and they all play multiple the couples, roles? No. Uh, well, I guess it could. But uh, from what I understand, it's been cast with um, you know individual actors for each of those couples okay and bobby is the is the key one for it all main one yeah uh one of the key uh, couples though is joanne and larry and it's uh, when larry's um they take him out to a nightclub and and this where you hear the song that we started with today uh ladies who lunch uh joanne sings that as kind of a, a criticism of ladies who of middle um middle class ladies who go out and don't care about life generally yeah, right. then realizes it's all about her um <laughs> The opening party finally resets a final time. Robert's friends have waited two hours and, they, and he still hasn't turned up because he's called a halt to everything in, in the middle of one of these scenes. He yells out, stop and disappears. Sure, because he's kind um, of hyper aware of it all. So happening. the final scene is set where they're waiting for two hours for him, no sign of him, so they prepare to leave, expressing new hopefulness about their friend's chances of love fulfillment and wishing him a happy birthday wherever he may be as they leave. He then comes onto the stage alone, smiles and blow out his can- blows out his candles. Oh, I like that as, an, as a finishing point. It's, yeah, it's kind of odd. But and I've made it sound a lot more complex than it probably really is. I've Well, I feel like I prefer them a little bit more complex. And, you know, if there's that sort of happening inside his mind thing, I quite like that. Yeah. I picture it, um, you know, the director's mind uh, pictures it as being overlapping um, or not not so much overlapping but scenes that dissolve into other scenes yeah and operate you know and happening in different parts of the stage as he sort of drifts from one imaginary scene to another yeah. uh, and they're quite quick you know they're mostly they're, they're there to encompass a song what well, is a two-act play isn't it? a musical yeah. so it is yeah. still a couple of hours long yeah, a couple of hours yeah I must listen to the it. original broadway production uh, opened in boston 
um, in out-of-town tryouts receiving mixed reviews ranging from the Boston Evening Globe's Brilliant to this one, you'll love this, and variety of all places. The songs are for the most part undistinguished, and as it stands now, it's for ladies, matinees, homos and misogynists. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that. God. Directed by Hal Prince, the musical opened on Broadway at the Elvin Theatre April 1970 and closed in 72, January 72, after 705 performances, seven previews. The opening cast included uh, Dean Jones, who had replaced Anthony Perkins early in the rehearsal period when Perkins left to direct a play. Also, Donna McKechnie, Susan Browning, George Coe, Pamela Myers, Barbara Berry, James Kimbra, Mel Louise, Beth Howland, and Elaine Stritch who uh, was well-known on Broadway at the time. Dean Jones left the show in May of that year. He was replaced by his understudy, Larry Kurt, K-E-R-T, who had created the role of Tony in West Side Story. Kurt earned rave reviews for his performance, and the Tony Awards Committee decided he was eligible to compete for Best Actor in a Musical, which is an honour usually reserved for the actor who originates a role. Ah. The West End, first West End production opened in January of 72 at Her Majesty's Theatre. It closed early November that year after 344 performances. The original cast, directed by Harold Prince with choreography by Michael Bennett, uh, featured most of the original Broadway stars that came across to do it. Sydney Theatre Company presented the first Australian production at the Sydney Opera House's Drama Theatre in January and February of 1986. Most members of the original Broadway cast reunited in 1993 in California for a concert to benefit Actors Fund of America AIDS Charities and the Long Beach uh, Civic Light Opera. Angela Lansbury served as the host for the performance at the Terence Theatre which, with narration by George Hearn. And the reunion concert was repeated for two New York performances in April of 93 at the Vivian Beaumont Theatre, directed by Barry Brown, with Patti Lapone as host. The excitement of the reunion concerts resonated even in comparison to later full-scale revivals. After 43 previews, a revival for the Roundabout Theatre, directed by Scott Ellis, uh, opened in 95 at Criterion Stage Right, where it ran for 68 performances. A London revival by Sam Mendes uh, happened in 95 and closed in 96. It transferred to Albert Albury Theatre, I should say, in March of uh, that year and closed in June. Uh, and it featured Adrian Lester as the first black actor to play Bobby in a major production of the show. Cool. A videotaped recording of that production was broadcast by BBC in March of 97. In November of 2010, a one-off concert of company starring most of the 95 London Revival cast, including Adrian Lester, was held at the Queen's Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue to commemorate the 80th birthday of Sondheim. There was a Kennedy Centre production. Uh, there was also other revivals. Uh, funny one was Cookaburra Musical Theatre mounted a production in Sydney in June of 2007. The show was well received and sometime travelled to Australia for the first time in 30 years to attend the opening night. Are they really? However, the production caused major controversy when Christine Whelan was sick for one performance and with no understudy. Cookaburra Chief Executive Peter Cousins insisted the show be performed anyway but without her character that meant cutting several numbers and scenes with no explanation and that night's performance ended 20 minutes early following complaints from the audience there was considerable negative press attention to the decision and sometime threatened to revoke the production rights for the show (laughs) imagine Steve getting upset about that Um, look I'm going to Good ahead, because there was another uh, revival in 2011. and There's a Neil Patrick Harris one. With right Neil somewhere. Patrick Harris, yep. yeah. Stephen Colbert, John Cryer, uh, Christina Hendricks and Patty Lapone. Yeah, that's the one I'm sort of and, familiar with. And uh, there is video footage of that. Yeah. And uh, West End Revival at the Gearguild Theatre in 2018. Um, that one was the one where they featured a change to the genders of several characters. Bobby was changed to Bobby, a female role, and was played by Rosalind Craig. Additionally, it featured same, a same-sex couple for the first time with Jonathan Bailey um, as a cold-footed groom, Jamie, originally the character Amy, sure, and Alex Gaumont as his devoted fiancé, Paul. I'd like to see some Sondheim approved that. both changes and worked on revisions of the script with uh, director Marianne Elliott. And it's her production which went to uh, the U- US and Patty Lapone reprised her role as Joanne. Katrina Link, who you'll hear shortly as Bobby, originally slated to open on sometimes 90th birthday in March of 2020. The production began previews and after nine preview performances came to a halt. The production resumed previews in November 15th, on November 15th of last year, sometime in attendance shortly before his death. Oh, good. The cast, musicians and crew dedicated their entire run to him. 
and it opened officially on December the 9th. Five days before he died, Sondheim discussed the revival's change of Bobby's gender from male to female. He expressed how theatre is distinguished from film and video because, quote, you can do it in different ways from generation to generation. What keeps mm. theatre alive is the chance always to do it differently with not only fresh casts but fresh viewpoints. Yep. It's not just a matter of changing pronouns but attitudes. I love what that. A great quote. I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I love that. That is all I really need to tell you about company. It is a great show. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to have a listen to it. I'd never, I, th- I think I've heard a couple of versions of Neil Patrick Harris's ver- um, production, but um, really hadn't listened to it outside of this today's opening track, if I'm being honest. Hmm. Uh, so, speaking of which, oh wow, we've already talked about the music mix up and the yep. concert we'll be playing at the end. Um, it, oh, that's, yes. In which case, from the bottom of our hearts, Thank you so much, Free FM, for hosting us. Thank you, Creative Waikato, for sponsoring us. Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I will be sharing all of our new content on our Instagram story and on Facebook. Stay classy, theatre nerds. We're going to leave you today with the NPR Tiny Desk Home Recording concert of the 2021 Broadway Revival cast of Company, featuring the songs Company, Someone Is Waiting, Another 100 People, and You Could Drive a, bus- uh, drive a Person Crazy. See you! Lenk here with the cast of the Broadway show Company. 
Thank you for joining us, clustered here around this tiny desk with this tiny cake in the teeny tiny bottle of bourbon. <laughs> that was our opening number from the show, and we were in our second week of previews when the great shutdown of 2020 happened, and we are just so thrilled to be back, to be back in the rehearsal room, discovering old new things, remembering old things um, with our incredible creative team led by the incomparable Marianne Elliott. And we are so excited to share more songs from the show with you from this, the bar at the Civilian Hotel, which is soon to be open just a few blocks away from our theater. Katrina Link is going to sing for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Katrina's going to sing Someone is Waiting, and it's becoming my new favorite because she sings it so, so, so beautifully. So do it. <laughs> <laughs> Someone is waiting, sweet as David, funny and charming as Peter, Larry. Someone is waiting, cute as Jamie, sassy. Harry and tender as Paul. Would I know him even if I met him? Have I missed him? Did I let him go? A Peter sort of Larry. A David kind of Paul Wait for me, I'm ready now If you exist at all Someone will hold me Safe as David Silly and solid Someone will wake me warm as Jamie, loyal as David, and loving as Paul. Did I know him? Have I waited too long? Maybe so. But maybe so has he My loyal David Loving Paul Cute Jamie Happy Peter And some Larry Wait for me I'll hurry Wait for me I could listen to you sing that all night. Keep going. Someone Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm Matt. <laughs> um, I'm Matt Doyle. I I love this company so so much. It is such a thrill to be back with everyone. Uh, when we shut down, it was absolutely devastating, and I know we all went through so much during this time. But it is incredible. To come back to this piece, this masterpiece by Stephen Sondheim and George Firth, this incredible quintessential New York musical, a, sh a show that's about company, about togetherness, and most importantly about being alive. 
this is what we get to do on the other side of this. And I'm so honored to be in the room with each and every one of you. And I can't believe it. I can't believe that we're here doing this. <laughs> we're having a party tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's perfect. Um, and it is, it is a show about New York. And there is one song in the show, Another Hundred People, that completely captures New York. And it is just such a, a phenomenal song by, by Sondheim. And uh, Bobby Conti sings the hell out of it, and he's going to do it tonight. So, Bobby, please do it. <laughs> <laughs> Another hundred people just got off of the train and came up through the ground While another hundred people just got off of the bus and are looking around at Another hundred people who got off of the plane and are looking at us Who got off of the train and the plane and the bus maybe yesterday It's a city of strangers Some come to work, some to play A city of strangers Some come to stare, some to stay And every day The ones who stay Find each other in the crowded streets and the guarded parks By the rusty fountains and the dusty trees with the battered bikes And they walk together past the postered walls with the crude remark And they meet at parties through the friends of friends who they never know Will you pick me up or do I meet you there? Shall we let it go? Did you get my message? Cause I looked in vain Can we see each other Tuesday if it doesn't rain? Look, I'll message you tomorrow or I'll call you and explain And another hundred people just got off of the train It's a city of strangers Some come to work, some to play A city of strangers Some come to stare, some to stay And every day some go away Or they find each other in the crowded streets and the guarded parks By the rusty fountains and the dusty trees with the battered bikes And they walk together past the poster walls with the crude remorks And they meet at parties through the friends of friends who they never know Will you pick me up or do I meet you there? Or shall we let it go? Did you get my message? Cause I looked in vain Can we see each other Tuesday if it doesn't rain? Look, I'll message you tomorrow Or I'll call you and explain And another hundred people just got off of the train and another hundred people just got off of the train And another hundred people just got off of the train And another hundred people just got off of the train Another hundred people just got off of the train Nice, Bobby. Nice. <laughs> uh, hats off to our band. We have Rich on the drums, Michael on the bass, Paul on the keys, and Joel Fram over there conducting like a madman from the corner. Thank you. This has been an <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure getting to sing these songs for you in front of this tiny desk in this tiny cake in this tiny little bottle of bourbon and now to close out our night we present to you Claiborne Elder Manu Narayan and Bobby Conti and these three gentlemen will sing You Could Drive a Person Crazy and go You can drive a person crazy, you can drive a person mad, ba-da-da. First you make a person feel all hazy, so a person could be had, ba-da-da. Then you leave a person dangling, sadly, outside your door, which it only makes a person gladly want you even more. I could understand a person if she said to go away. I could understand a person if she happened to be gay. You think? 
do I know? Nah. A person that, a person that, titillates a person and then leaves him flat is crazy. She's a troubled person. She's a truly crazy person herself. Oh God, you're a tease. Now you gotta call me back. Why are you so afraid of a person? Personality is personable. She shouldn't ought to sit on her butt. It's harder than a matador coercible to try to get you out of your rut. So single and attentive and attractive a chick is everything a person could wish. But turning off a person is the act of a chick who likes to pull the hooks out of fish. Knock, knock, is anybody there? Knock, knock, it really isn't not fair. Not fair, not fair. Knock, knock, I'm working on my work. in my arms All that sweet affection What is wrong? Where's the loose connection? How long, oh lord, how long? Bobby, baby, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby You could drive a person frantic You could blow a person's cool Like you get a person all romantic Why you make a feel a fool? But uh, when a person says you just don't get her that's when you're good. You impersonate a person better than a zombie should. I could understand a person if she wasn't good in bed. She's good. No shit. I could understand a person if she actually was dead. Exclusive you, elusive you. Will any person ever get the juice of you? You're crazy. You're a troubled person. You're a moving, deeply maladjusted, never to be trusted, crazy person. Yourself. Bobby is my hobby, and I'm giving it up. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.